Welcome to the Heritage Online Podcast. This is our weekly deep dive into the scriptures, the church, Methodism, faith, and following Jesus Christ. In this week's podcast, Reverend Matt Haran shares what the Bible says about peace. Enjoy. So the, uh, the, word, the word peace is one that has a ton of baggage on it. Uh, there are a variety of definitions. There are a variety of places that we talk about it or ways we use it. There's world peace. There's inner peace. There's peace everywhere in between. And I got thinking about a trip that we took a couple years ago to Arlington National Cemetery. Has anyone been to Arlington National Cemetery before? Maybe some of you have. Or at least you've seen pictures of it. Uh, you know, you, you walk around, and the first thing I noticed was it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful place. Uh, uh, you notice quickly that they take really good care of it. This is a high priority to everyone who works there. And uh, if there's a sign saying, don't walk here, you shouldn't. <laughs> uh, someone will correct you pretty quick. Uh, Especially if you're watching the changing of the guard at the tomb of the unknowns, uh, those the, the soldiers that that guard it every day, all year, all, all day, and all night. Uh, if someone gets out of line, they will stop and they will yell at yell at you and tell you to get back in line. Uh, so they take it really seriously what goes on there. And eventually, as you walk around, you're going to get to a higher place in the cemetery. And if you could go back to the picture with the, all the markers, Nate, uh, you will see a view like this, and you'll realize a couple things. It'll hit you, wow, a lot of people have agreed to go into the military to provide peace for others, giving up peace for themselves to try to accomplish it for others. Then you realize... Wow, a lot of people have died trying to provide peace for others at the expense of peace for themselves. And you, you cannot leave Arlington National Cemetery without being truly moved by it. Uh, and so it's one of the most sacred places I've, I've been. I've been to churches, cathedrals. I've been to ancient religious places. It's hard to top the sacredness of being there. So... I got thinking about, you know, uh, the, uh, the military service that people do. And I want to uh, give you a, tri a trivia question to start. Uh, now, uh, you're not allowed, not allowed to Google this. I want you actually to think about whether you can remember this or, or if you know it. Um, uh, kids, this is what we call back in my day remembrance stuff. So do what you can. But uh, so there was a, a, a soldier who is one of the most decorated in American history. Uh, his funeral was presided over by President Warren G. Harding. Uh, Calvin Coolidge, his vice president, was there, who would be someday be president. Uh, William Howard Taft was there, who had been president, and at that time was Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Uh, you had dignitaries from all over the country and all over the world. Uh, the soldier was given the uh, Distinguished Service Cross, as well as the Congressional Medal of Honor for their service, and not only that, but other nations uh, con conferred their highest uh, military honors on this person as well. 
France, Great Britain, Italy, Romania. So several other countries also gave this person uh, their highest military honor. So I want you, I'll give you a little time to think about it, uh, but try to figure out if, if you know or remember uh, who that person was from those clues I gave you. And I'll come back to that in a little bit. But, uh, but to see what it costs to accomplish peace uh, is really sobering. And so I kind of brought that memory with me into preparing this week. Uh, and so a, a passage that struck out, stuck out to me uh, comes from Mark 4, starting in verse 35. It's the story of uh, Jesus calming the storm. It says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And so I, I love this passage for a couple of reasons, right? The, uh, first, uh, he's, he's, he's just finished preaching to this really large crowd, so large that he had to, they actually ran out of land for him to stand on. Got, got in the boat, they pushed out a little ways from shore, and he's preaching to a large crowd of people. He uh, preaches at least four famous parables, uh, the parable of the soils, uh, you know, a, a few others. And uh, so then after that, they're leaving, and he falls asleep in the boat. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to speak to a large group with no microphone. Uh, but I, I want to tell you for a second. Uh, so I brought a video. This is actually the Lake of Gennesaret where Jesus was, was preaching. This is what it sounds like when you're near the shore. You turn it up some. Make us really feel there. Feel like we're there. And whatever the noises, you know, hundreds of people make when you're trying to talk to them, it's exhausting. You, you push your voice farther, you yell a little more, you feel more pressure to give your voice to everyone else. And it's, it's difficult. Now, every Sunday around 1.30, I have what my family and I call my adrenaline crash. I kind of, I get up for Sunday morning and I'm ready to come up here and preach and sing and meet everybody and have a good time being here and worship with you guys. Um, but at about 1.30, I just go, mm. Sometimes I fight it off and I try to still remain productive, but I've been known to take an occasional nap in the afternoon on Sunday. And here's Jesus. The man has had his adrenaline crash. He's in the boat and he lays out on a cushion, which we think cushion, like something off of your couch. This is probably like a piece of wood with some leather strapped to it, uh, so it's not comfortable or anything. The dude's really tired. 
So he's laying down on the, on the cushion. Well, what it means is, is this one of the places where they would sit if someone was rowing, right? If they needed to row, this is where someone would sit. So Jesus is now in their way. As the squall comes, he is sleeping, he's in their way, and they're annoyed. Actually, the, the translation of this, when, when they say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Really, what they say is, teacher, we're about to drown if that even matters to you. It's like, uh, you can just see the eye roll, you know, or the, you know, hands on their hips, right? You can hear the annoyance, and it's sometimes in English doesn't quite carry over. But we're all going to drown if that even matters to you. Uh, so they're really annoyed by him sleeping, by him being on their cushion. And so he gets up. He says, quiet, be still. Or some translations will say, peace, be still. And the, the word he uses here, uh, they, they, they use peace, be still. They add three words to cover this one. Uh, basically, the, the, the uh, expression he uses is uh, the same as you would use if like, something was put on your mouth to make you be quiet. It's like the, the kidnappers duct tape your mouth to keep you from call, calling for help. Or, you know, uh, your dog is muzzled because, you know, for whatever reason. Uh, so it's like someone being forced to be quiet uh, against their will. So basically the best translation is Jesus got up, said to the wind and the waves, stick a sock in it, waves. And that's kind of what, you know, translation's lost because they didn't have socks back then. But if they did, that's what he would have said. So it's like a sandal in it, wind. Uh, so he says to the disciples, why are you afraid? Uh, and uh, if they're already annoyed and given them all this attitude before, they leave out what they say in response, right? But I would like to see that exchange. Uh, but there it is. The wind and waves die down. Uh, so when uh, he says, why are you afraid? It's like, obviously, it was going to be okay. And so the apostles go from, uh, you know, being terrified to annoyed to uh, fearful again. It, it says in verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The, the, uh, when it says they were terrified, in Greek it says, they were afraid with great fear. They wanted to make sure you got all the oomph. Right? They were really scared of what they'd just seen. So they were scared, annoyed, then scared again. Uh, and they're having a whole host of, of, uh, of feelings here. But Jesus isn't. I look at Jesus in the story, and I'm thinking, well, I guess you, know, you have some knowledge that they didn't. But wow, there is a squall that is about to tip the boat over, and you're able to sleep through that. Now, I know there's some people out there that can sleep and a, tr a freight train goes through their house. Maybe Jesus was like that. I don't know. But, wow. He sure does seem to have an awful abundant level of peace to be able to sleep on this wood with leather on it uh, in, the, in this boat during the storm. And so I noticed a couple of key things. You know, as, as we're thinking about what the Bible says about how we can feel at peace, what can we learn from what Jesus did? In this, in this situation. And so uh, I noticed first that um, when, uh, when he's, in, he's in this boat, he's done his job. Uh, my coaches in high school would say, leave it all in the field. 
right? Meaning that you're not like saving some energy for what you're doing later. You are going to expend every ounce of energy you have for this right now, and you can rest later. Rest when you're dead. My high school soccer coach had a British accent. It was even more insulting when he talked to us because uh, it was British. But uh, you can sleep when you're dead. And so, you know, but Jesus has done it, right? He's, he's done all he can. He's on the boat with no microphone and the waves. He's got to talk over all that. He tells them these parables that are life-changing uh, that we still we know today. And, uh, and then, but I, I get it, man. He's having the adrenaline crash like I have uh, on Sundays. And he, he sacks out. And so he knows that he has done what God has called him to do. He knows he has done what God has called him to do. He was given this, uh, it wasn't really a pulpit there, it was a boat, but he was given this, uh, this pulpit to speak from, and he made the most of it. And he spoke to hundreds and hundreds of people, if not thousands. So he takes his adrenaline nap with peace, knowing that he has done what he was there to do. Then you notice that uh, he, he controls what he can control. I've always thought it was interesting the way that as he was teaching, like we, we, we read the Bible and we see Jesus saying all these things that are you know, monumental biblical things that we've heard for our, some of us for all, our whole lives, right? These parables, these, these, uh, these sayings of Jesus. And, uh, but over and over and over again, you hear right after he says them, the apostles had no idea what he was talking about. They didn't know what he meant. They were confused. They asked some questions that were kind of, kind of dumb. Uh, and so that's going to be even more, more exhausting for him. But he couldn't control that. He can't control how they feel. He only can control what he can control. Now, in his case, he can control the wind and the waves, which is an obvious advantage. But when it comes to the apostles, now they feel, he tells them, why are you afraid? Where's your faith? And he just leaves it there. He returns to being at peace himself. And ironically, what happens to him right after this is that uh, they get to, uh, to the shore and uh, this naked man who's possessed by a legion of demons comes running at him, screaming to, uh, at Jesus to not cast him out of the person he was inhabiting. So to do Jesus' line of work takes some inner peace. And he obviously has that, and he cultivated that. So uh, he controls what he can control. But what happens in this situation right afterwards is that he gives peace to others. He offered it to the guys in his boat. They didn't get it. They were terrified, but he still offers it. He meets the, uh, the, uh, the guy with the legion of demons in him, and he casts them out, gives him peace. Uh, the, uh, the word that describes the, uh, the guy who is possessed by the demon after the demons are cast out is, uh, is a Greek word that we get the word diaphragm from. So it's like he was finally able to breathe. Like, <sighs> It's funny, like when... You're at a tense place. And I know for myself, if I'm in an anxious place, sometimes if I just stop what I'm doing and think about my breathing, breathe all the way in, 
breathe all the way out. Like, it makes a difference. You can physically feel that. And so Jesus gives this guy a level of peace that no one else had been able to give him before. The, uh, so the thing that Jesus does by giving peace out to others, uh, he even says later, uh, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. I don't give the way that the world does. Uh, he, he is there to give people peace. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you were the one calming people down. There, there is something amazing about giving someone else the gift of telling them, we're going to be okay. When everyone is freaking out, there's a storm coming, it's going to capsize our boat, what are we going to do? The person who is the voice in the room or in the boat that is able to say, hey, everybody, I know this is scary, but we're going to be okay. There's something calming about that for you. Like, if you're the one who takes responsibility to give peace away, it sort of puts you there first. And if... If you've never been the person that provides peace for others, uh, maybe there have been people in your life that have tried to give peace to you. And uh, maybe you know that great gift that they gave to you in those moments. Uh, But it is a great gift to give to someone when you give them peace and help them to be reassured. I know this is hard, but it's going to be okay. All right, back to the the uh, Arlington National Cemetery to think of all these people that volunteered to go and, and serve in these dangerous ways. They basically leave peace and go to where there's war so that others can be at peace. They would say, don't worry about it. I'm going to go do something about this so you can be okay. You know, in the Old Testament, there's this recurring word. It's uh, the Hebrew word shalom. It's kind of a central idea in the Old Testament. Uh, it's, it's also referred to in the New Testament uh, when they, they quote the word shalom in the New Testament. It's the Greek word irene. So if you know, have a friend named Irene, that's what it means. But uh, when... Uh, when you talk about the word shalom, it, it's a, I mean, a, a, the best rabbis could talk about it for months, but to, to, to boil it down, basically it means everything being pulled together. Like when creation was over, when creation was finished, and God had pulled everything together to make it work together properly, to, to put everything in its place and, and finish that off, there was shalom. Everything was in order, together, put in the place it needed to be. The opposite of shalom, you would think it would be war. It's not. The opposite of shalom is evil. Because what messed up the shalom was sin. So things were all pulled together, and then there was sin, and they were all pulled apart. And so what, what we give to others when we try to infuse peace into someone else's life 
in this someone else's situation. Is we, we see all the different parts that are all scattered around. But if we can begin to look to see how it can all fit together, help them see how this can all fit back together, and begin the journey towards putting things back together the way they're supposed to be, it is a great gift we offer to others. So again, that's why it's so sobering when you go to the Arlington, Arlington National Cemetery and see how many people have said, I'm going to go to this absence of shalom, this absence of peace, so that I can go and help create peace there and allow there to be peace for others. Jesus comes from heaven. He comes from eternity where there is peace into this place full of sin and brokenness. And he is the prince of peace that gives us the gift of peace by his life and his words and his sacrifice. He did say, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. You know how many times the Bible says, do not be afraid? 365 times. It's important enough for there to be one for every single day of the whole year. Constantly reminding us, do not be afraid. It's going to be okay. Let's pull everything together. It's going to be okay. So, uh, answer to my trivia question, does anyone know who the uh, soldier was who got the grand funeral and all the awards? Guesses? Got a guess? Tell me later if you were right. I'll believe you. Uh, so if you show the last picture there, Nate, um, actually the soldier is the unknown soldier. The unknown soldier was brought back from a cemetery in France, uh, was presided over by all those important people, uh, was given all these awards from people all over the world. Uh, and it's an, it's an amazing image to me to think, that this person gave their life for the peace for others. And we don't even know who they are. They, they vanished into history so that we all could have the chance to have peace. So I feel like, as is often the case, the answer is to be like Jesus. Rather than getting focused and worried about finding peace for ourselves and solving all of our are thinking all the time about all of our worries and our fallen apart things, our broken things. Obsessing about that can lead us to more anxiety, less peace. But there's something powerful about offering peace to others that really makes a huge difference.